A big thank you to all the companies that are helping support the Real Rescue Podcast. SR3 Rescue Concepts, Life Saving Systems Corporation, Breeze Eastern, and Flipping Coffee. If you've not sent these companies an email, you absolutely need to. You wanna know why? Well, it's because they all work together. When you email them, they will absolutely set you up for success. All of them have a great working relationship with each other. For helicopter training, contact SR3. For hoist information, contact Breeze Eastern. For rescue equipment, contact LSC. And for a great cup of coffee, contact Flippin' Coffee. SR3 Rescue Concepts, because you don't know what you don't know. They are a training company that can help your training program with standards, safety, and maybe just an FAA refresher. They are ready to help your agency keep up to date with current techniques, rules, regulations, and equipment. The training staff is awesome! With certified flight instructor pilots and experienced crew members that offer training in rescue, medical, tactical, firefighting, and ground operations. SR3 has partnered with Petzl to assist with any personal protective equipment inspection courses and the highly specific Lazard, which is used for helicopter cliff and mountain rescue. In addition to that, if you listen to our episode with Hans and Alvin, episode 10, and they used it on a boat rescue, which was amazing. So contact them today, sr3rescueconcepts.com. That's sr3rescueconcepts.com. Or see them over on Instagram at sr3 underscore rescue. Then we have Life Saving Systems Corporation, who manufactures the world's toughest helicopter rescue gear. From their Triton harness, which is my favorite rescueman harness, to the rescue basket, litters, and of course the most popular hoist hook in helicopters, the D-Lock. The team at LSC cuts, bends, welds, and machines these products into existence every day. We do our work so you can do yours. LSC, tough gear for tough jobs. Check them out today at lifesavingsystems.com and follow them on Instagram at Rescue Gear. That's at R-E-S-Q-G-E-A-R. Breeze Easton. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November 1945, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and unique mission requirements have changed over the past 75 years, their commitment to the rescuer operations and those rescued has not. Contact Breeze today by visiting breeze-eastern.com. That's breeze-eastern.com. Then we have Flipping Coffee. At Flipping Coffee, we roast each batch to perfection to bring a smooth, delicious cup of coffee that you won't find in most other brands. We like to keep it simple, brewing real coffee, using real ingredients for real coffee drinkers. Contact them today at FlippinCoffee.com to order your bag of freshly roasted coffee beans. As a bonus, you type in the promo code, all capital letters, R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q, and you get 10% off. Thank you to all of our sponsors who are helping make this podcast grow. It's much appreciated. Today in the United States, it is Memorial Day. This is a day in which those who died on active service are remembered. 
In every episode, I talk to guests about our jobs and we acknowledge the risk that we do so others may live. Every one of us know the danger, but we do it anyway. In this episode, I want to acknowledge all that have put their lives on the line and have made the ultimate sacrifice. They are no longer here to share their stories, to give us advice, to leave us sitting on the edge of our seats, to make us cry, or to make us laugh. So this episode is dedicated to the crew of Coast Guard Helicopter 6505, Captain Thomas Nelson, Lieutenant Commander Andrew Wishmeyer, Petty Officer First Class David Skimmon, and Petty Officer First Class Joshua Nichols. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast. From Admiral Thad Allen, Commandant, U.S. Coast Guard. Subject, final action into the crash of the 6505. On the evening of Thursday, 04 September 2008, Coast Guard Air Station Barbers Point Helicopter 6505 was conducting a routine small boat hoist training with Coast Guard Station Honolulu Motor Lifeboat 47317 south of Oahu after sunset. A mishap occurred during the fifth hoist evolution at approximately 2011 Hawaii Standard Time. This initiated a chain of events that ultimately resulted in the crash of the 6505 into the Pacific Ocean at approximately 2015 Hawaii Standard Time, approximately five nautical miles south-southwest of Honolulu International Airport. As a result of the crash, all four crew members were killed and the aircraft was lost. Findings of Facts and Opinion the following narrative provides a key finding that inform my conclusion and actions. Coast Guard Air Station Barbers Point Helicopter 6505 was conducting hoist training with Coast Guard Station Honolulu south of Oahu after sunset on the evening of 04 September 2008. The environmental conditions included the surf advisory of 6 to 8 feet, winds from east-northeast, and reported seas on scene of 1 to 2 feet. During the recovery phase of the hoist following a delivery of the rescue basket with a trail line to a dead-in-the-water DIW motor lifeboat, excessive slack in the hoist cable from the Coast Guard helicopter collected aboard the motor lifeboat. The excessive slack was caused by the combined motion of the aircraft's altitude changing dynamically in a hover, the pilot's flight control's input in response to the standard conning commands provided by the flight mech, the hoist cable was then paid out and being tended by the flight mechanic in response to the change in distance between the helicopter and boat. And the heaving motion of the stern of the motor lifeboat as it moved in response to the ocean swells. The stern of the boat fell and a loop of the hoist cable became fouled in the engine room dewatering standpipe mounted on the forward bulkhead of the aft buoyancy chamber. These combined actions resulted in a hard snag of the standpipe and with no slippage, the hoist cable parted under extreme tension at approximately 2111 
Hawaii Standard Time. The cable parting induced an unusual attitude recovery at a low altitude and damaged the rotor system. The aircraft then transitioned into forward flight, gaining altitude and commencing a slow climb on track to the north-northwest direction of south coast Oahu, Hawaii. The aircraft climbed to an altitude of 558 feet and accelerated in forward flight to an indicated airspeed of 25 to 50 knots. Just over three minutes after initial mishap, after traveling a distance of approximately 2.1 nautical miles, the aircraft experienced a catastrophic loss of airworthiness. It rapidly fell into the ocean from an altitude excess of 450 feet, 5 miles south-southwest of Honolulu International Airport into the water depth of approximately 1,300 feet. As evidenced by the abnormal oscillations in audio recordings and instrument readings and the most immediate Mayday calls reference vibrations, the Coast Guard helicopter experienced significant abnormal vibrations from the time the hoist cable parted and for the duration of the flight until the aircraft impacted the water. The most likely reason that the aircraft suffered an abrupt compromise in airworthiness was sudden loss of main rotor speed that resulted from the damage to the aircraft's rotor system and resulting out-of-balance condition. A more comprehensive analysis of the damage and cause factors is provided in the Aviation Safety Mishap Investigation. Nine days after the official report was released, CoastGuardNews.com came out with an article. In that article, Rear Admiral Mason Brown, commander of the 14th Coast Guard District, made a few statements. He said, I have been privileged to come to know the richness and the depth of the lives of these four beloved guardians, mostly through stories related by their families and fellow airmen. For those closest to this tragedy, The names of the fallen are etched in our hearts forever. He continued on, We do dangerous work, often in harsh environments. Our training procedures must appropriately challenge our crews to a degree necessary to maximize mission success for actual cases. Mariners rely on us to be there when they encounter the perils of the sea. The article continues with, The Rescue Basket Hoist Training involves a helicopter lowering a rescue basket to the deck of a Coast Guard boat and then hoisting the basket back to the right side door of the helicopter. This training is essential for pilots and crew to remain current in the processes and techniques required to safely make rescues under arduous conditions. The detailed results and recommendations from the investigation are issued to the public through the Commandant's Final Action Memo and the Administrative Investigation and through the final decision letter on the mishap investigation. What I would like to do is take a minute to look at this and reflect on what happened. Maybe help prevent this from happening to someone else somewhere else. So the first thing I want to do is start with the actual incident. We have to watch out for cable management. Cable management is such a key factor when it comes to hoist operations. That's your hoist operator and your rescue personnel on ground, on boat, or in the water. I cannot explain to you enough how many times they said in swimmer school, starting in swimmer school, cable management, cable management, cable management. 
us guys on the ground, on the boat, in the water have got to have good cable management. In addition to that, when I started to become a hoist operator, Pat Barber would teach me cable management, cable management, cable management. As a hoist operator, you need to be cognizant of what's going on with the cable. In, out, forward, back, left, right. Know what's going on. Now let's look at the whole situation. All right. So now you've got the helicopter that's got hoist cable and basket on the deck of the vessel. I have no doubt that Petty Officer Nichols was doing a great job hoisting. If there was too much slack out, he was reeling in cable. If there was not enough, he would give a little more. You're also conning the aircraft to the right position directly over the boat. I also have no doubt that the boat crew was doing exactly what they needed to be doing to tend tagline, maintain cable management, and watch that basket. In this in particular incident, when the cable wrapped around the standpipe, things happened in a blink of an eye. And I'm going to try to put it in perspective right now. So the first thing that we need to know is what the cable actually breaks at. If you go to zephyrinternational.com, you'll find a description that says cable strength versus energy. A 316th cable static test strength values. Minimum static ultimate strength, 3,300 pounds. Minimum static strength after fatigue, 2,100 pounds. Max force before static damage, 1,980 pounds. The rescue hoist energy absorption factors, which is basically what the cable can take. But you have to equate how much cable length is out, the condition of the cable, and if there's a free fall height and a load. In this case, a free fall height would be the, the boat dropping into the trough, the cable being pulled by the boat. Wire rope endurance specifications is 3 sixteenths of an inch is 2,100 pounds residual minimum breaking strength. Now let's look at the incident. The cable gets wrapped around the standpipe and at the exact same time the vessel drops into a one to two foot trough which, ex which pulls that cable taut. When that cable got pulled taut, the right side of the aircraft was pulled down, putting the aircraft in a right bank. In turn, the pilot would have wanted to correct that right bank by moving the cyclic to the left and recentering the aircraft. When he did that, it put more tension on the cable, which then created the break in the cable, hence the braking strength at 2,100 pounds. With the force of the brake and that much pounds put into the force of the aircraft controls, the aircraft went too far left, now put itself into a left bank where the pilot wanted to recorrect and go to a right bank. And when that happened simultaneous, the rotor blades actually hit the top of the hoist. From there, as the mishap reported, the aircraft experienced a catastrophic loss of airworthiness. After this tragic incident, the hoist companies put into their hoist something known as a slip clutch. The slip clutch is a safeguard against the actual cable snapping. So if this incident were to happen again as the aircraft were to move, the cable would be pulled out of the drum versus snapping. For the rest of us, we continue to train. We continue to train hard. We train to prevent such tragedies like this. We train so that when things happen, we know exactly how to fix it. We plan for the what ifs. 
What if this goes wrong? What if that goes wrong? What if this goes wrong? What if that goes wrong? Because you never know what's going to happen on this job. As you guys have heard in the past with all the stories that we've talked about, you never know what you're going to get. On this day, we lost four of our own who were training for that worst case scenario. I personally did not know Captain Nelson, nor Lieutenant Commander Wishmeyer, nor Petty Officer First Class Joshua Nichols. But I did know the rescue swimmer that day. And I'd like to share a little bit more about my friend, Dave Skimmon. I want to take a moment to thank Dave's wife, Sally. Sally, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to represent Dave. Thank you for digging through all the boxes, all the paperwork, and going down memory lane, opening the emotional wounds that you have had. Thank you so much for allowing me to let Dave's legacy live on. I couldn't have done it without you. Again, Sally, thank you. Now I want to talk about my friend, United States Coast Guard rescue swimmer number 409, Mr. David Skimmon. Dave, before he went to rescue swimmer school, he was stationed in Galveston, Texas. While he was stationed there, one of his cases, he and his crew earned a letter of accommodation. And the case read like this. Letter of accommodation, dated 28 December 1993 to Seaman David L. Skimmon. I note with pride and am pleased to commend you for your performance of duty on 20 December 1993 during a search and rescue case involving the fishing vessel Miss Padres. The fishing vessel Miss Padres was taking on water approximately 18 nautical miles south of Freeport, Texas and all the personnel on board were preparing to abandon ship. As a crew member aboard the Coast Guard Motor Lifeboat, you immediately got underway to respond to this urgent SAR call. Upon departing the Freeport jetties, the Motor Lifeboat suddenly lost Loran and GPS. Due to the severity of this case, it was imperative that you continue to proceed to the scene. With 20 to 25 knot winds and 6 to 8 foot seas, on-scene weather was worsening and the coxswain's full attention was required in handling the UTB, leaving the navigation responsibilities solely to you and your fellow crew members. Using DRs and radars when available, you expertly navigated your coxswain to the fishing vessel Miss Padres. Upon arriving on scene, you transferred all three crew members to the UTB. No easy feat in the advised weather conditions. Moments after the personnel were safely transferred, the vessel capsized and sank. Your quick action saved three lives and adverted the potential tragic ending. Once the crew members were on board, you assisted in treating the injured member with a possible broken leg and ensured the others were uninjured and resting comfortably. Throughout this case, you maintained your composure and your professionalism. Your tremendous efforts resulted in the successful rescue. You are commended for your outstanding leadership and performance of duty. By your meritorious service, you have upheld the highest traditions of the United States Coast Guard and hereby authorized to wear Commandant's Letter of Combination Ribbon. Signed, Paul J. Prokop, Captain, United States Coast Guard. Dave was on track with an incredible career path. He graduated from rescue swimmer school on 20 October 1995. 
He was serving at units such as San Francisco, California, Kodiak, Alaska, and Honolulu, Hawaii. Me personally, I was lucky enough to meet Dave while I was in Kodiak, Alaska. He's another great guy to have around. As a friend, as someone who had a little more experience and knowledge than I did. Him and I worked night check together for quite a while, which is 1600 to 2400, 4 p.m. to midnight. And while we were together, man, we joked, we laughed. There were some pranks that got pulled from time to time. It was an awesome time, one of my best memories out of Alaska. We also spent time together in Cordova, Alaska. So while you're stationed in Kodiak, we do a couple different deployments during our time there. One of them is to St. Paul Island, another one is to Cole Bay, and then another one is to Cordova. So him and I are on opposites, which is, you know, you do like a two-week stint over there, 24 on, 24 off, and him and I being opposites, we're sitting down, we're eating breakfast or eating lunch or something to that effect, and we look out the window and there's two cubs that are sitting out in the middle of the lawn of our facility. And Dave's like, man, they shouldn't be in here. We, we should probably like go scare them to make sure like, hey, there are humans here and, and kind of scare them away. I'm like, yeah, yeah all right, that'll be, that's a good idea, whatever. So next thing you know, him and I are walking over to the door. So Dave opens the door, runs out at him. Ah! The cubs take off, run up a tree, and then he turns around and he's like beat feet and running back into the building. And then he shuts the door and is looking out the window. And I'm like, what was that? He's like, man... I don't know where Mama Bear is, and that's, yeah, we got to be careful with that one. (laughs) So him and I are sitting there laughing as we're watching the bears in the trees, and it's just, man, it was so funny, and and what what another special memory that I have with Dave. And that's just one. There are so many. It was great for me to be stationed with Dave. He had such a positive attitude, great smile, just always so fun to be around. I loved working with Dave. He was also a great air crew member and an incredible rescue swimmer, and he did his job. While we were in Kodiak together, he was actually recognized with a letter of appreciation for the unit for his awareness around the helicopter while he was flying on a training flight. It read like this. Letter of Appreciation to AST2 David L. Skimmon, United States Coast Guard. I commend you for your superb situation awareness in noticing an oil leak during H-865B night hoisting operations. Prior to your flight on 15 November 2002, fuel system maintenance was completed requiring the number 2 engine oil line to be loosened to fabricate repairs to the fuel line. The required 5-minute leak checks were completed with no discrepancies noted and the training flight departed as scheduled. While being hoisted into the cabin during the rescue swimmer operations, you noted oil leaking from the number 2 engine compartment. This was the first indication the crew received. The flight mechanic immediately began looking for secondary indications and located a pool of oil in the baggage compartment. The evolution was terminated and the aircraft safely landed at the Kodiak State Airport. Your observations alerted the crew to a very serious problem, potentially preventing damage to the aircraft. A viable safety program is dependent upon personnel who are concerned about the welfare of their shipmates and their environment. By maintaining a keen awareness, you detected a potential hazard and took action to ensure further investigation. You have my personal thanks and appreciation for a job well done. Signed, Captain E.D. Nelson, 
Air Station Kodiak. What I remember about that incident specifically was when Dave came back to the shop to tell us about what had happened. His debrief to us was, again, another eye-opener for me of like how much he respected and loved what he did and wanted to pass on the knowledge. Hey, this happened to me. This is what you guys can do. This is what we can watch out for. It was awesome, that just total crew mentality and that passing on of information. That's just the type of guy that Dave was. He wanted others around him to be better. Outside of the Coast Guard, he was also an amazing surfer. Dave would make and shape his own surfboards. He made so many at one point that the local Kodiak newspaper wrote a little article on him. And it said this, Big Wave Dave shapes the boards. Dave Skimmon was 21 when he made his first surfboard using hand tools. A week later, he competed in a surfing competition on that board. The Southern California native has been surfing for 15 years. It's what he does, but it's more than just a hobby or a sport. The 27-year-old Coast Guard rescue swimmer now has his own business, Skimming Surfboards, and has been making surfboards for about seven years. For Skimming, shaping boards is a dream come true. It's what I want to do, no question about it. When he was transferred to Kodiak two years ago, Skimmin didn't think there would be much surfing to do. He brought along supplies to make a surfboard for himself. I ordered some material for boards so I could keep working on them just to keep my skills up, Skimmin said. He was surprised by what he found in Kodiak. He found about 40 surfers on the island, including a core group of Coast Guard personnel and fishermen. In the past two years, he has made 31 boards, including two which he shipped off the island. Skimmin is working on two boards now and has orders for two more. Each board takes about two weeks to make, and he uses a friend's garage at his, as his shop. Skimmin said the process involves about five steps, including shaping the foam with power and hand tools, applying the artwork, laying the fiberglass, setting the fins, and sanding. It's a job that often takes many people on an assembly line, but Skimmin does it all himself. Up here, I don't have a choice. I have to do everything myself, which is good for me because I've learned the whole process. Through time, I've learned a lot and developed the skill. Skimmin's custom-made surfboards sell for about $300 to $400. He designs different boards for different sized waves, different sized people, and different surfing performance abilities. He also does the artwork. Mike McDonnell, Assistant Fire Chief of the U.S. Coast Guard Fire and Rescue, owns three boards made by Skimmin. With all of Dave's accomplishments throughout his tour on Kodiak Island, and how much the command respected and appreciated him, it was no wonder that when he left, the command awarded him with an achievement medal. It's awesome, and it reads like this. Citation to accompany the award of the Coast Guard Achievement Medal to David L. Skimmin, Aviation Survival Technician, 2nd Class, United States Coast Guard. Petty Officer Skimmin is cited for superior performance of duty while serving as the Aeronautical Engineering Department at Coast Guard Air Station Kodiak, Alaska from May 2002 to May 2005. Assigned to the Aviation Survival Shop, he served as the HH-60J helicopter crew member, 
conducted survival instruction and trained new personnel in becoming fully qualified rescue swimmers. On two occasions, Petty Officer Skimmon alertly identified impending failure of a main rotoblade and an engine on unit helicopters, averting potential in-flight failures of the components and enabling their repair in saving over $233,000, displaying exceptional instructional skills and standards on enlisted flight examination board. He trained 75% of the newly assigned rescue swimmers, preparing them for the operations in the harsh Alaskan environment. This training was instrumental in Air Station Kodiak winning the Trident Award for the top AST shop in 2004. An experienced survival instructor, Petty Officer Skimmon educated over 240 personnel on staying alive in emergency situations. As the flight gear issue Petty Officer, with a budget approaching $300,000, he ensured that over 300 air crew members were properly equipped for the rigors of operating in Alaska. Making the most of limited funds, he acquired a C-130 oxygen mass set at no cost, saving $25,000 to Air Station Kodiak. While amassing over 378 flight hours, Pedestra Skimmon saved seven lives, most notably a daunting rescue of four people in a life raft, one without a survival suit. Petty Officer Skimmon deployed to the raft and quickly assessed the unsuited survivors' burns and hypothermia as life-threatening. Cleverly cutting away the roof of the raft to ensure the hoist was completed quickly while minimizing exposure to the elements. Petty Officer Skimmon's diligence, perseverance, and devotion to duty are most heartily commending in keeping with the highest traditions of the United States Coast Guard. After David left Kodiak and was stationed down in Honolulu, Hawaii, Dave was loving life. He was living on a boat on the back end of his career with only about five years until he was eligible for retirement. The command absolutely loved him. As you would expect, his personality, his work effort, and his devotion to duty remained strong. It was just the type of guy he was. It goes to show it when eight days following the crash, the Coast Guard awarded Dave the Meritorious Service Medal. And it read like this. Citation to accompany the posthumous award of the Meritorious Service Medal to David L. Skimmon, Aviation Survival Technician, First Class, United States Coast Guard. Pedestra Skimmon is posthumously cited for meritorious service in performance of duty while serving as rescue swimmer and night check supervisor at Coast Guard Air Station Barbers Point, Hawaii from June 2005 to September 2008 and for 16 years of faithful service to a grateful nation. Accumulating over 1,200 hours of flight time at three different aviation units, Petty Officer Skimmon participated in 31 search and rescue cases and personally completed 21 rescues. Arriving as a qualified flight mechanic and emergency medical technician with experience forged from years of operating in the world's most challenging waters from the icy Bering Sea to the expansive Pacific Ocean, Petty Officer Skimmon was selected for rescue swimmer instructor designation. Known as a subject matter expert, 
His evaluation and mentorship of fellow rescue swimmers was instrumental in the unit receiving the 2007 Coast Guard Standardization Excellence Award, an honor that is coveted fleet-wide. When the master of the marine vessel Carmen suffered a severe reaction to his prescription medication while the vessel was over 100 miles offshore, Pedersa Skimmin quickly treated, prepared, and ensured a safe hoist of the patient minimizing the time on scene during this fuel-critical evolution. He then carefully attended the patient during the long transit flight back to the nearest urgent care facility. Showing dedication and compassion to his fellow shipmates, Pedersra Skimmin served as the command drug and alcohol representative and the command financial counselor, providing crucial assistance to over 600 service members throughout Oahu. Pedersra Skimmin's Dedication and devotion and duty are most heartily commended and in keeping with the highest traditions of the United States Coast Guard. In the United States, on Memorial Day, we remember those who died on active service. For Dave's widow, Sally, his daughter, Autumn, and the rest of Dave's family, they live this more than one day a year. If you read Dave's obituary, it highlights the kind of person that he was. But to Dave's family and his friends, he was that and so much more. This is true for all the families that have lost a loved one. This is why we celebrate Memorial Day, to remember them. I'd like to close this episode with this. To our four brothers lost that day, you will always be remembered. This moment of silence is for you. May you have fair winds and following seas. Thank you for your service and thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Real Rescue Podcast. Please take a minute and like my daughters like to tell me, like and subscribe. Oh yeah. I'm pulling chocks and taking off. But before I go, if anyone out there has a rescue story that they would be willing to share, I would be humbled and honored to have you as a guest. Or if you have any questions about any of the rescues or anything else that we talk about here on this podcast, send me an email, therealrescue at gmail.com. That's T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q at gmail.com. You can also check us out on our Facebook and Instagram page at The Real Rescue. That's at T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q. I also want to give a special thank you to all of you standing on the watch today. Always remember that when that SAR alarm goes off, those in distress are praying for a miracle. They are going to get you. Until next time, fly safe and swim hard. <laughs>